0: Hello, welcome to another week of the podcast, Med Family. I'm Eric Acker, the host, with Karen Acker. Hey guys, we are fresh back from our trip to the zoo. Uh, our day off, so we get to record this uh, in the evening. But we we have survived another day of ninety degree heat, <laughs> looking at animals.
1: It seems to be the kids' new favorite uh, activity. Yeah, that- Eric was. Eric was hoping for the beach but we ended up at the zoo um. <laughs> I, I keep tossing
0: that as an option in there and Karen never takes the bait on that one it's like either we don't have we don't have beach toys we <laughs> it's two and a half, it's like hour and 45 minutes which is like 30 minutes longer than it is to go to the zoo but it's about the same yeah so one of these days we're we'll gonna make it to Wilmington and see see some ocean we I think we would pleasantly told by some of our relatives that North North Carolina has like one of the highest shark attacks on the beach which I mean it's I mean it doesn't have a lot of competition like New York City like how many shark attacks you really get in New York. Uh, (laughs) I think that was disproven though I think
1: we're like third most. Yeah yeah Florida. I think Florida is
0: the first for sure.
1: You know all those uh, sea creatures coming to haunt us the the otters and the killer whales and the sharks. Oh you know? yeah, you've been you were <laughs> enjoying
0: my my, uh, my typical podcast uh, cycle, <laughs> where we talk with my podcast always talks about the animal uprisings. Um, <laughs> anyway, that, that's a that's a side not, not 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 something I produce obviously, but something I listen, listen to on on a regular basis. It's entertainment usually, but lately I have not been. i I think I'm like one or two episodes behind honestly like even what we listened to I, I don't think we actually got for the end of it but that's mostly because I've been pretty tied up in my I, I don't have as much time on my hands this week and uh, that uh, that was very apparent I started this week I started the internal medicine services um, or the uh, I started on eight south uh, on the med- internal medicine uh, team And uh, that has been time-consuming, to say the least.
1: Yeah. So, eight south is basically the step down from ICU. So, they're the very sick, difficult patients.
0: Yes. they, They are not as sick. They don't need to be in the ICU, but they are not well enough to be on the main floors, or they are on the other direction. They are coming up from the ER or the main floors, thinking that they're not quite sick enough for the ICU. And so these patients are in these kind of transition periods. And, of course, the hope is that they are transitioning down <laughs> to uh, one of the lower floors or to discharge so that we can you know, send them home and they can be well. But uh, obviously there's always a, the potential there for them to go up. Oh, well, we are on the top floor, which is kind of weird. We're, we're The ICU is like on the third floor and we're on the eighth floor. <laughs> so uh, some hospitals are, are set up in a way where the the internal the resident teams have floors, and that's kind of how we are. Uh, different floors are resident floors, or most of the patients on the floor are resident patients. Because um, obviously on our floor, on eighth floor, we don't take care of all 37 patients on that floor. We only take care of like 15, half or so. So there are other physicians obviously doing work up there. Um, and it's the same with like floor two and floor three. We have like two north two South and three North, three South, I think. Um, but essentially eight South is the step down unit, like Karen said. So we take care of most of the patients and other hospitals. It's not quite set up that way. Other hospitals, it's like patients are scattered throughout the entire hospital. And so, uh, your patients residents are assigned patients based off of who comes in the ER and how they get into a certain rotation and so they could be on the other side of the hospital they could be also all over the place and so residents don't have the luxury of just going to one floor to see all their patients so on that note it's a blessing because (laughs) I can do all my pre-charting like looking over the history and everything and then go around on my patients I don't have to like Okay, I'm going to the eighth floor and I need to go to the north side and I need to go to the south side and then to you go to the third floor and I, like I don't have to jump around. All my patients are on one floor. I just have to walk down the hallway, which is super nice.
1: Yeah. So, Northeast Georgia did it a little bit different when he did his away rotation where um, they were assigned base, like assigned patients out of the ER. So you had a variety of acuity.
0: Yeah, we would yeah, we'd get direct admits from the ER and so we would have this wide variety of oh, this person is really sick, this person's not. Obviously the ICU was I believe a closed so a partially open ICU but like the medicine teams weren't rounding on the ICU. There was a special ICU resident team that would take care of ICU patients. And I think that's relatively true for everywhere. But we would have patients who were on step down, we would have patients who were on the regular floors, we had patients in rehab, we have we had patients all over the place. Yeah.
1: So in that sense it was a little bit easier because you had you had some patients that you spent a little bit more time and thought on because they had a more difficult case sicker (laughs) (laughs) and then like somebody who you're just managing their diabetes or or
0: yeah yeah Mm -hmm. someone who's like oh they're there for this small workup and now they're just a social case you know they're just we hope but that's the other difference there's northeast georgia Uh, a lot of times the the attendings would at least on my team the attendings would kind of punt those patients to other hospitalists that were not on residency services and to in favor of getting new patients and that, you know, keep it interesting for the residents. Whereas I think in Cape Fear, we tend to hold on to our patients until they're discharged. So there are some, some patients who are um, on our team for, I think one person said they've seen a patient for over a hundred days and obviously not the same person, but like it, it's been on the floor for a hundred days and waiting for placement. Um, so, obviously, there's more challenging placements out there so for ver- various reasons. I, I think if you spend any time on the floor, you, you begin to understand what those various reasons can be. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, there's definitely a difference. And so, all, in Northeast Georgia, all the internal medicine teams were basically equal. Like, they all had a certain level of acuity. It's kind of what you got... In uh, on rotation uh, in the rotation, like so, every team would get certain number of patients a day. Uh, If you were pre-call, you didn't get any patients that day. On the call day, you got all the admits. Um, But generally speaking, overnight you would get a few admits. Um, So to try to keep the teams all up, but I don't know, eighteen patients per team, something like that. And but by and large, like as you do that kind of rotation, every team is going to get about the same level of acuity. In Cape Fear, the biggest difference is, like we just mentioned, well, I'm on eight South. So all my patients are (laughs) more more complicated versus if I was on, like, 2 South or 2 North. And it's not to say that they don't have to work hard. It's just, like, our patients are sicker. Um, They are more... You have to be more careful and watchful. But, like, for example, we had patients... uh, It was a pulmonary embolism week, I think. (laughs) So there was a lot of people with saddle... Pulmonary embolisms, and we had lots of patients on uh, that had DKA's, and so some of the kind of the more bread and butter stuff, quote unquote, uh, but certainly things that could go poorly if you ma- don't manage them well. Um, so definitely tricky.
1: <laughs> yeah, Eric came home from the first day feeling like he sucked buckets. Oh, it, it was <laughs> it was a
0: terrible day. I I, I I was making this joke with a friend of mine on the way home. And I was like, so there's like lots of reasons why Monday didn't go well. Um, and, I'll, and I'll get into them. <laughs> but like on the way home, I was talking to a, one of my friends and I was like, you know, what makes the whole thing worse is that there's another intern with me. And this guy has been a, an attending in Cairo, Egypt, for three years working in the ICU, and so he's looking super competent. While me, on the other hand, I'm playing with crayons, not trying and trying not to get him stuck up my nose. So, like, there's an obvious like step down in, in, of experience going on there, and that's like it's on top of everything else. Like, just going from neuro uh, neurology, which is pretty straightforward. You're working with one system. Like, I only I only care about the brain. I only care about the nerves and you can care a little bit more about the other medicine uh, but like realistically like your attending's really only going to grill you on the ner- neuro stuff to now you have to know everything and you actually have to do stuff <laughs> like um, by the end of my neurology rotation I had placed like a couple orders for a CTA like a few CTAs, like my first orders I've ever placed and now, like CTA MRI brain with and without contrast like those are basically what the right about orders I would place in neurology um, sometimes the NP would beat me to placing those orders so I wouldn't have to place them so Neurology was pretty light like I would write a couple I would write maybe three notes four notes in a day If I was uh, really busy on a really busy day and still be cutting out about five. No problem uh, If depending on which doctor I had, the bachelor I was cutting out at five if I had Dr. Jamil, I might be done by three so um, Neurology was easy comparatively <laughs> but uh, the Inpatient wards. I started the day off. I was, uh, I think, a few minutes later than I wanted to be. I wanted to be there at like six thirty. I ended up like rolling in at like six forty-ish. So I'm already kind of a few minutes late, which nobody said anything. And you kind of, I couldn't find the room right off the bat, which is dumb because like all the rooms are in the same area. I just couldn't figure out which one it was. It's just the one team that doesn't have a sign on the door. Um, so I couldn't find the room for a little bit. Got in there. Uh, my senior, you know, greeted me, gave me my patients and I started looking them up. Um, I went and saw them and immediately it was like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> like, cause like you're, you got, I got five patients assigned to me and now I need to know all about them. I need to know, um, what's been happening since they've been into the hospital. What we're, what we're treating, how we're treating it and what's my game plan. Like what, what am I going to do with this patient? Um, and then, of course, like, how do you talk to them? You're the patient's doctor now. You get to tell them what's going on. What's the what's the game plan? <laughs> and because um, all, all in medical school, all fourth year, you can be like, I'm just the medical student, so I don't really know. And and to be fair, that's not a bad answer as a third or fourth year medical student because like, the last thing you want to do is tell a patient like. I think we're going to do this, this, and this, and then you go to your team, and your team's like, "No, definitely not any of that." So, uh, and so, you don't want to create a confusion with the patient, like, "Oh, there's different people telling me different things, and nobody can get the things straight." Like, they don't care if you're a medical student or not; they just get told one thing from one person, one thing from another person, and and then suddenly everyone is confused, and as opposed to like, "No, it's just the medical student's confused." Um, so. <laughs> So I hit the floor, I I see a few of my patients, and it felt like, I should also preface this, I've basically been dealing with this incredible neck pain for, like, two weeks. And so it was, like, one of the worst days. I I can't really turn my head right or left, and it's bugging me just by walking. But, like, you know, ibuprofen, Tylenol, let's just try to muscle through it. But as soon as I get to those patients' rooms, like, suddenly I forget everything about, like, how to do a patient interview or what questions I need to be asking how to do a physical exam like I've for two weeks I've been doing neurology exams That's all I know how to do is neurology exams <laughs> like, I, like I know how to do other exams but I'm really good at neurology exams now and so I'm talking to these patients and I'm trying to think like what do I need to do on this patient like, what What kind of thing? And, of course, I don't do a very good job. I, I'll just straight up admit, I don't do a very good job examining almost any of my patients. And I think immediately I immediately got there and the nurse was like, hey, this patient's got some blood coming through one of the bandages. What, do you want me to change it or not? And I'm just like, uh, <laughs> I haven't even seen the patient yet. So give me a couple minutes to look at the patient and I'll let you know. Uh, it's like just a bandage, right? Like, why, why wouldn't you be able to change it? But, I mean, there's also a very good reason. I, I chatted with my senior because apparently he's keeping an eye on me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the patient had had like a, um, I, I'm going to say thrombectomy. Basically, they went through the groin, right heart, calf, kind of go up to the the pulmonary arteries and um, pull out the thrombus. And it was like one of those giant saddle thrombus and this is an amazing picture because they have, like, the picture of the, the bronchial tree. Um, I say bronchial, but it's, like, the, the, the artery tree for the, <laughs> for the lungs. And they lay this this embolism down. Basically, like, this is where we found it. And it's, like, you know, they have all, the tree all mapped out on this board. They put a thrombus on it. It, like, goes from, like, all the way from the lateral part of one lung, all the way through to the lateral part of the other. And it has all these little extra branches. And it's like, wow, that is a, <laughs> it's a giant thrombus. Um, so he, but they went for the groin and they did that incision. And it's like, I didn't know, uh, even though I've done like EP labs and calf lab stuff, I, sh- you know, I should know this, but it didn't dawn on me like, oh, there there could be like a, an av uh, arterial-venous malformation based off of how they got into that that groin that you need to be careful of because if you just take the bandage off and disrupt that you could have like a major bleed but you didn't have that issue thankfully my senior had looked at that and checked in on that. i think you have to try to feel around the bandage to see if you can feel like a pulse because i if they went for the to the right heart they are going through the venous system. So there shouldn't be a pulse. I mean, there should be a pulse in the groin. That's the femoral artery there. I do know my anatomy a little bit. <laughs> but <laughs> there shouldn't be a pulse right at the vein. So uh, especially at the bandage site. So anyway, uh, so right off the bat, like not knowing what I'm doing. Um, and then I try to present. Well, we, we go to our, our rounds. We do table rounds for this team, apparently. And it was immediately intimidating. You have... Your team, which is like me, the the other intern who's basically an attending, and the senior, <laughs> and two other medical students from Drexel. Um, you have a pharmacist there. You have like. Another pharmacist, uh, like two pharmacy students from Campbell University, and, we're all, and of course my seniors there and my attendings there, we're all packed in this little room. And then everyone's like, okay, who's got p- patient in room two? And that person gets up, or doesn't get up, they just you know, start rattling off their patient's presentation. And when it comes time for me... Like, I just completely botch it. Like, I, I'm totally disorganized. My paper is not, like, lined up the way I needed it to. I've done this before. I know how to do this, but, like, I'm just bundling it. And my attendee was like, this is your first day? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, that's okay. I'll, this is my last day on this team. I'll see you in two weeks. Hopefully we're better by then. And so we just kind of do some clip notes. The senior's bailing me out left and right. I don't know what medications my patients are on. I don't know what the plan is. And the only thing, that my only saving grace is I'm just jotting down whatever the senior is saying. Like, we're going to do this, this, and this. And my attendees is going, yeah, let's do this as well. I'm like jotting it down. Like, okay. (laughs) As long as I know what they're saying and I do that, I will be okay today. And then we go to morning report. And I completely miss uh, the, the morning reporters, they present a case, and then of course they ask questions like, "Hey, this patient comes in uh, in this particular case." Let's say the patient came in with um, unilateral right arm and left uh, right arm and right leg weakness, um, and that was basically the presentation. And uh, you know, they give you maybe some vitals, and they go, "What what are your differentials? Okay, what else do you want to know about this patient?" And then people it's a very interactive process. And I, I completely missed the part where it was only unilateral. I thought he said right and left upper extremity for some reason. And we're like, oh man, we just had this really cool case in neurology where this person had right and up right and left upper extremity weakness and the neurologist was complaining the entire time when we first got this patient like, oh, I hate these because these are the worst because it's really just benign. Like it could be guillain syndrome. It could be a lot of different things. And It's really hard to kind of track down. And usually it's just like something stupid or benign. And, you know, <laughs> so we're like, oh, man, this is going to be diff- difficult. And then on one of the imaging, like I think it was like the MRI of the, brain, uh, the neck, we took an MRI of the neck. And it showed like this spinal canal um, darkening, owl eyes as the only thing I can think of is how we how we described it. it was owl eyes of like the central spinal um, cell body region, which is like an anterior spinal artery occlusion. So we're like, man, we haven't seen that before. That's pretty cool. And so I was like, oh man, maybe this case is the same one. And so I was like, yeah, how about spi-? he's like, what what kind of what kind of uh, etiologies were you looking at for? this kind of presentation. And I was like, Hey, anterior spinal artery occlusion. And they're like, and one of the attending was like, how? And I was like, well, he's got bilateral weakness, anterior spinal can affect both sides. And he was like, it's unilateral, right? Like, Right arm, and I'm like, Oh, sorry, I missed that. And just like in front of everybody, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm not going to say anything ever again. Uh, <laughs> like the only differential that was pushed back against was mine. So, okay, like afternoon's not going great. Um, <laughs> we didn't get lunch because essentially you go to you, you do your rounds at your team you try to get a few notes and you try to get your orders in, you go to uh, morning report, you make, in my case, you get embarrassed. And then you go back to your, your team room, finishing up orders, go up to see the patients, follow up on things that you, um, you missed. I missed doing physical exams on certain patients. So I had to go back up there and do some physical exams and double check certain things to make sure what I was ordering actually made any sense. Um, Uh, Spoiler alert, nothing made sense to me at that moment. Uh, I was just going down my checklist that I wrote down during rounds, like, I need to order this, I need to order this, I need to order this. And, I don't know, it was about 5 o'clock. I was like, I still haven't written a single note. I had my med student who's, like, seen two of my patients. Like, I've written both of my notes. You want to look them over? And I'm like, I will look them over later. Like, I am not, like, I am so far behind. (laughs) I'm not looking over anything. I'm not doing any work. Or, for, I'm not. I mean, I appreciate it, and it's actually a blessing that the med students are there. They're really professional. Re- very good, but like, because when they write a note, all I have to do is edit their note, make adjustments how I see fit, and then I sign it, and that's my note now. Uh, I keep well. I keep the name on it, so I'm not. I'm not, I'm not a, <laughs> a complete monster, but like. I don't have to write the whole note, is what I'm basically saying. Uh, so it's nice when med students are on your cases because then you're just like, I just have to take over your note, and as long as I agree with everything you said, I'll make my adjustments. And uh, I know I do make I did make adjustments. Day two made adjustments. I was actually feeling more on it, but we'll get into that later. <laughs> so five o'clock rolls around. I haven't written a single note, and I'm glancing l- through one of my patients' charts, and I'm just thinking to myself tomorrow I'm, I really want to check on this patient's magnesium. Let's see if they, that, that ordered for tomorrow's labs. And I'm like, hey, Derek, you know, Derek's my senior. I'm like, hey, I don't see any morning labs ordered for this patient. He just turns to me and says, you're the doctor, Eric. You order all the labs. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I haven't ordered a single lab for any of my patients. I just thought there was like an admission order that was like daily labs, which I know better. (laughs) Like They talked about that during orientation. Patients don't need daily labs unless they're absolutely necessary. So you need to place like, so at five o'clock, I'm like, I still, I thought at five o'clock I was done with my orders. And now I'm like, I got to put, go back through and figure out which labs I need to order for all these patients because like. You don't order them tomorrow at rounding when you are just going to be like, "Hey, uh, that patient was high. You know, white blood cell count was high yesterday. What's it today?" And I'm like, oh, I don't order the labs. Like, that's not, <laughs> not a great answer. So, oh, <laughs> well, that patient is in DKA. What's the what's the glucose looking like? What's potassium looking like? And I'm just like, nope, didn't order those labs. Sorry, like can't do that. So. <laughs> And, and all the while, like I'm trying, I'm putting off notes, and it actually is a, a thoughtful reason why I'm not doing notes right away. And that's basically because I'm prioritizing orders and consults first, because I want the patients to get consulted as soon as possible. And so, as soon as I do our, our rounds in the morning, I really want to get those consults out so that if a cardiologist happens to be around and they want to do a consult today, there's the opportunity. That's not being put off till tomorrow. So I can change my plan in the evening, what they we're going to do tomorrow for a patient. So there's that, actually a rationale. I don't just crank out notes and then at like four o'clock put in orders. Like <laughs> that's probably not very nice. And I think consultants were going to hate me for that. So there's a, I'm just slow. I, I need to get more efficient. So there's but that. You
1: were more efficient on day two. But I mean, there are some <laughs> things to appreciate is like in your, report. You did, even though it was intimidating to have so many people there, it is nice that there was like a team of pharmacists there and, um, not necessarily other specialties or anything, but that is nice. Um, especially having worked at a pharmacy for a while, a lot of times pharmacists are like, why did the doctor order this when the patient's taking this? And they do what's called brown bagging where they, they basically go through a whole entire patient's medicines and then they recommend to doctors what they should take. And it's typically less, but the medications do the same thing. So it's kind of nice to have the pharmacists on board at the beginning because then you can hopefully get the right cocktail.
0: And And they also catch things that were not, I mean, they're, sole focus is looking at the patient what are they there for and what medications are they on like whereas us as doctors we're you know what are they there for what medications are they on what are we doing to treat them <laughs> like how are they presenting where, where could they possibly go what what is our contingency plans who do we need to bring on board what kind of stuff do we need to do to them mm-hmm. you know which includes medications, but it also includes like consults and labs and other workups and vte so we're kind of all over the place but there was not my patient but there was once a few times where the pharmacist would just chime up and be like, oh, also the patient has COPD, and they aren't on the gold standard. Uh, there's like a gold actual acronym for something, but the gold standard for COPD, they need to be on a LABA or something like that. And they're like, oh, yeah. And so like the pharmacist didn't speak up. We might have missed that. We, we weren't going to probably kill a patient, but it certainly is helpful to have someone remind you like, hey, by the way, you know we should make sure we are managing these other comorbidities they, they they're probably not the reason why the patients there but we do still have to manage them while they're in the hospital so it's nice it is nice having the pharmacist there because they'll see these sort of things and they'll make recommendations like you know on my dka patient they they made recommendations on how much um, lantus I was, you know, ba- uh, basal lantus I was going to get the patient. And I was like, that's great. <laughs> I'll write that down. They <laughs> were like, like patient got 10 this morning. Uh, I feel like with the glucose, it's probably going to keep going up. So we probably should give another 5 and then 15 tonight. And I was like, 5 now, 15 tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... And this isn't that nurses are your lifeblood on on a lot of times on the floor because, like, you're in your whole trying of type of orders and do coordinate stuff. The nurses are on the floor. But um, even though I had that order in there, the patient didn't get it until, like, 3 o'clock. So and then slipped back into DKA, and uh, we started the protocol all over again, which is exciting. Uh, <laughs> not necessarily the nurse's fault. I think the patient was already heading that direction. It just... It doesn't help when you – and basil is a long-acting insulin, so it wasn't like that they would have given him at 11 o'clock. The patient would have been completely turned around in, like, minutes or anything like that, so. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, Karen's right. It's nice to have a lot of people there. Uh, it's intimidating because, like, you know you're – when you don't know what you're talking about, there is at least a seven people who uh, – you know, if, if three people don't notice that you don't know what you're talking about, there's going to be at least four other people who do know that you not, don't know what you're talking about. And it's hard to like, it's a habit. I think I have to get, I I have to get out of, I know I'm not in it very much, but it's like when you don't know and the pressure's on, like they want you to know you're expected to know and you just don't know. Like there's sometimes a, like a make it up sort of gut reflex and you just like, you just gotta suppress that. Like, oh no, I think it's good. You know what? I don't know. I'll I'll go back and check. Like, this is obviously the patient's life on the line. They don't need the doctor just guessing at (laughs) at things that don't exist. Um, gosh, what other things did I? It was other things I kind of realized along the way. Like, in even a third, and even a fourth year medical student, you're. Like you're working on the patient, working on patients, or working with your attendings, and like you do your write ups, you do your soap notes, and like, yeah, whatever. Like, if I, if you don't get it done, it's okay. The, the attendings there, they're, they're knocking it out. Like, you're not putting in any orders, so no big deal. Like, there's a, it's always a back of your mind in third and fourth year there is somebody else that cares more about this patient than you do. Like, it's, it's not meant to be uncaring, but like the doctor you're attending, that's their patient. So they're going to make sure that that patient gets taken care of. And I definitely was on rotations where the doctor was checking the work, was checking everything out. And so in the back of your mind, you know, if I miss a few things, that's okay because there's somebody else who's got it. That is not true. It does not feel true uh, now.
1: (laughs) You say it doesn't feel true, but... I say it that way because it doesn't
0: feel (laughs) true, but I know there's like I know my attending, I know my senior are watching everything I do.
1: Yeah, because they've responded to certain things, like because there's the messaging between the nurses, the secure messaging between the nurses and the attending and all that stuff, and they've responded to things that nurses have sent you or you have sent the nurses. Yeah, it's wild.
0: Like I'll be like, I'm just gonna send a message directly to the PT person and ask him a question. And the PT person will respond, and then I'm looking over and thinking about how I'm gonna respond. And then my senior will just pop into the chat. Like, I didn't invite him in here and <laughs> and just answer, or he'll put something out. I'm like, Okay, cool. Like, alrighty. That's fine. I mean, I'm not I'm not mad. He's not he's not being a jerk or anything. He's like, Oh, he's helping me out. That's great. Um, so I, I know that they are watching and I think even on Monday night, like around 6, 7 o'clock at night, when I was like, I'm just going to go to the GME building. I'm going to do sign-out, a sign handoff, and then I'm going <laughs> to go to the GME building and finish my notes. Um, at least the senior was like, I looked over your patients. Your orders are all in. You're good to go. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm glad you think so. <laughs> like, <laughs> so uh, day one didn't feel great. It didn't feel great. Uh, we
1: we solved I think we've solved the solved the next next It still issue. bothers
0: me, but it's not as like it is not mur- murdering me like
1: Yeah. Eric complained enough that I was like, Okay, I need to look this up.
0: I really appreciate it. It was uh if so you So I made him you like, ever concern like do I need to get a wife? Like this is the moment like it really just pays off. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> hey if i was single and my, i don't know what i was gonna do I, I was so desperate i was talking to the do's in my my intern class and I'm like neck wizard a bone wizard help me with my neck and the first response was have you heard of ibuprofen <laughs> i was like yes i have i'm willing to risk vertebral dissection <laughs> to get this thing fixed <laughs> he's like well if it's still bothering you next we hit me up and thank thankfully karen uh Karen fixed the problem.
1: I don't know if I totally fixed the problem, but
0: uh, oh my gosh,
1: we, we looked up. Uh,
0: we Karen looked we, it up. I,
1: <laughs> I looked up ways to.
0: I was a good patient. I am just gonna say like.
1: <laughs> he gave me the look though.
0: No, you, want you me to do
1: how, how many minutes of stretching? I, know, I didn't. I didn't realize
0: there was a time on it, but like so. Karen did this like neck, neck massage on me. It felt great. I was like ice and heat, um, alternating. And then she handed me the phone and was like, do these neck exercises. And I'm just like, all right, fine. Like, <laughs> you know, like I, have been miserable for like two weeks now. Uh, I'll do whatever at this point. So, uh, getting rid of the neck pain. Um, I think a helped me focus. better. <laughs>
1: like, it helped him sleep. He didn't sleep well Sunday evening. Cause
0: I think it's didn't... just the anxiety of, I mean, it's the pain. Yeah. It was also the anxiety of, like, I am going to be starting this new thing. I know it's 8 South. I know it's going to be crazy. Um, also, I want to give, I guess, uh, the, there's a podcast I listened to. because I I went home, or well, I was leaving the hospital, and feeling like I I know nothing about medicine anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've lost all my, I lost everything. Um, and then, so I was like, and I have these, I have these DKA patients, and I just, the entire time we're talking about DKA, I'm just like, I know it's diabetic. I know it has ketoacidosis. I I don't know how to treat it. <laughs> like in my head, I'm just like, I don't remember how to treat this. I don't know how to treat this. And so I listen to, I, I recall that I, I every now and then I listen to like this podcast. It's called the Internet Book of Critical Care. And it's by these two doctors, uh, critical care doctors. One's from Canada. One's from like Vermont area, something like that. And they just go over topics really, you know, in a very condensed way, like 10 minutes being 30 minutes, but uh, they give you some bare bones. It's sometimes it's a little denser, like they use jargon, they use acronyms. And sometimes I'm just like, I'm not fast enough with the acronyms yet. I'm not, not as familiar with some of the acronyms. So it takes me, a f- I had to hit the back button a few times. Like, what is that? What are they saying? Like, and so... I listened to that and it was like oh I do know how to treat this <laughs> like I, I've seen this before but it helps to refresh it and then like some extra paroles and wisdoms, like you know the first time you learn it like you got the the broad strokes of it the second time you get a little bit more deeper and the third time you're like okay there's actually these little fine details and I was able to take it come to the hospital on day two and was like I actually know what we should be doing on this patient like <laughs> actually know what the next step is but what what the goal is and what i'm looking at the labs like the entire time they're like anion gap anion gap I'm like i've always ignored the anion gap <laughs> like which is as a med student it's like you know i nev- never had to deal with a lot of dkas so like you know anion gap never really meant much to me and i was just like i know that's like a big calculation uh it's like what Sodium minus chloride minus um, bicarb? Uh, I, I don't remember. But <laughs> it's like a, and then a, you get an anion gap, and I think it's supposed to be less than like 20, something like that, 10. Anyway, I, don't, I still don't know it very well, but I know when it's not good because it shows up red. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I, <laughs> right now, I'm not really able to recall. But anyway, It actually meant something to me. And then bicarb actually meant something a little bit more than the typical, like, you know, person overdose on aspirin. What's the bicarb going to be? Like, oh, God. (laughs) Mixed. So anyway, yeah, that, that podcast is called, again, Internet Book of Critical Care. If you are on a rotation you're just like stumped on something and you don't want to dive back into a bunch of textbooks they do a really good job of just breaking it down it's not a it's not a series like podcast like it's all each podcast is a separate topic on a separate thing so you don't have to like listen from start to finish it's it's pretty good I, i i definitely recommend it like i i know there's a lot of different podcasts out there like there's like divine intervention which is a great one for studying um for step three and whatnot but this one's like a good one for like how to practice actual medicine in the community because it's not as textbook as um we want to think you know step two makes it out to be like for example um you know gi bleed in step two it's like okay what's the workup for gi bleed okay you you stabilize the patient you make sure they're not like acutely bleeding you get the type and screen you get (laughs) you um, you replenish blood, make sure the hemoglobin's above a, a seven, and then um, I think there's a couple other things. Uh, the two large bore IVs, I think, is also on the protocol. And then you do an EGD to look for bleeding in the esophagus and stomach in the first part of the small intestine, the duodenum. And then you, <laughs> if you don't see anything there, and then you go up the other end with a colonoscopy, well, like, in the real practice, like, that's not something that happens one after the next after the next. Like, you got the patient's hemoglobin back up, but, like, the patient's, you know, like, okay, in on the textbooks, it's, like, this relatively healthy guy who's, like, got no other co these and then he suddenly has a GI bleed, and now you're dealing with that. So all that kind of makes sense. Like, oh, there's only one answer for why the hemoglobin's low, and it's because of the GI bleed. But in the clinical practice, it's like a patient comes in with stage 3 chronic kidney disease that he's had for two decades. uh, Alcoholic liver cirrhosis and (laughs) like uh, black tarry stool, hemoglobin 3.7. What do you do? And it's like, okay, two logical IVs, type and screen, EGD, blood, blood transfusion, EGD, and then... No active bleeding on EGD, great. Uh, your, your GI doctor is like multifactorial <laughs> because of kidney failure and just like, oh, okay. Um, if that's what you think. <laughs> and, of course, it's like patients also on AFib, has AFib, so like you got you to gotta anti-collag them because they're like Chad fast scores at like double digits. And that's maybe an exaggeration, but... <laughs> 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 like, like oh do i give them blood thinners and then so make sure that they bleed out in the gi track or do i not give them blood thinners and make sure that they stroke out before they leave the hospital like which one um never never straightforward and i think and then of course like i think we all envision like okay you look through the mouth you don't see anything you go through the butt you uh don't see anything you do the pill cam you can do the the tagged rvcs uh, you go down this long list, and everyone's vision is like, you're doing this all in the hospital. And the reality is, you don't. <laughs> like You get that hemoglobin stable, you do an EGD, you don't see any active bleed, which, you know, black stool, melena, likely digested, so probably upper GI. But, you know, it could still be in the small intestine somewhere, but you just can't get a scope in there. Uh, so send them home on stable, follow, you know, to follow up, you know, very quick follow ups with GI and PCP, check the humid lumen when they get out. Like, you don't do it in the hospital, I guess. And that's, I guess, that's how it's done. So, uh, things are different. And that's, again, why I kind of would recommend this uh podcast with the, the Internet Book of Critical Care, because it's uh clinical practice. um It's also where I kind of learned they mentioned they had a comment on the vbg and abgs like venous blood gas and arterial blood gas and they make a comment about how like a lot of abgs are actually not abgs like whoever's drawing the arterial blood gas is actually hitting the vein and so your readings are like there's a high a, a surprisingly high percentage of uh, abgs that are not abgs so they t- kind of talk about the possible utilitary the utility the utility of ABGs like maybe you don't need to rely on them maybe you don't need to use them as often plus they're super duper painful so don't do them very often if you do have to do them anyway uh, that's kind of a side rant there Uh, (laughs) so day, day two had all that you know no more shoulder pain um Got in a better night at night of sleep um, was reviewing topics that I knew my patients had so I was kind of brushing up and studying a little bit felt like walking in the next day like I actually knew something that even if it's just like one of your patients I had five patients and only one of them had like DKA that I was working with and even just knowing what the plan for this one patient meant the entire difference now I can just focus on the other four and figure out what I'm doing with those ones. And like, kind of learn and figure out those ones. But like, the one patient's now, I know what they're doing, it's kind of more easy, type it in, put it in, move on. And the other four, I can be like, okay, figure this one out, figure this one out. Uh, thankfully, I got two discharges. So like went from five patients to three patients. The med students wrote up the notes for the other two, two of the three, and I had to write a note for one of them. Uh, and they're all pretty stable. I think one of them was eligible for downgrade, and the other one, I think, was going to be uh, probably eligible for downgrade here pretty soon, too. So, like, so
1: we'll see what tomorrow brings. <laughs> see, I, I'll
0: probably have a whole bunch of new patients and be back to being stressed. Yeah,
1: but... I don't know. I do appreciate that, I mean, as much as Eric was very down on himself Monday evening... Like, he came home and he did something about it. Like, <laughs> you had a plan, you stuck to it, and you worked worked hard to do better the next day.
0: Yeah, you have, you just have a decision to make. And I'm not trying to, like, pat myself on the back, but, like, it was overwhelming. I was overwhelmed. I was incredibly stressed out. I felt like I was probably worse than a second-year medical student. Um, I mean, there's always someone in the back of my head thinking that they made a horrible mistake hiring me, uh, <laughs> because I don't know anything, but like, it's like, well, I, I don't want to get fired and I don't want to quit. So <laughs> like, the only thing I got to do is like, I put my head down and keep working, like keep figuring out. And then I had, I had Karen being very encouraging. Um, and every, everyone really said this. I, okay, I talked to other, uh, other interns and other programs, like all my friends who, Our interns now um, talking to them talking to uh, and basically the the entire synthesis was this is your first week (laughs) you're not going to be great day one every third year resident has been in your shoes and has sucked every third year resident and attending has been there and they got to third year they got to where they're at because they just took it one day at a time they kept working at it they kept learning they kept getting imp- better and improving. And now that, you know, like in two years, you're going to be them. Is that right? Two years? Yeah. yeah. I'm first year. Second. <laughs> <You're> first <laughs> year. <laughs> I was like, is that right? Two years? <laughs> it's, it's it's like, you know, still with three years until I graduate, but like two years until I'm a third year, which is anyway. Um, so most, uh, it was all the advice I kept kind of getting from people was just keep working at it everyone's been there everyone knows like you, this is your first day so no one expects you to be brilliant um it does make me look back at neurology and kind of go yep all that free time i had during neurology i wish i had now like uh, i wish i i could study uh, i'm still trying to figure out my um World subscription i know my program pays for it but uh, my current plan is that my program gives me fifteen hundred a year for CME credit, and um, let's see here. Uh, step three costs about nine hundred and seventy dollars to register for. Uh, U-World is roughly four eighty, and so all total, I'm basically at fifteen hundred uh, with maybe like maybe less than a hundred dollars. Well, I'll, I'll be able to buy a CC cases for about 80 to $100, and so I'm basically going to be tapped out on my CME credit. And, of course, I picked up a case report that I still have to work on. So I'm like, how am I going to publish a case report with no CME credit you know, number to my name? So I, I hopped on to the Reddits, and because <laughs> like, there's um, there's these uh, threads out there where people are like, hey, we need to get a group together to buy UWorld and everyone's gonna buy UWorld world anyway to study for step three so why don't we just get a whole bunch of randoms on on together get put you know it's all your email address we'll get like 30 people together we'll send a list to you world and UWorld will give us some very small discount like two percent but it's like 50, 50 bucks or something like that so I'm like well if I can knock fifty dollars off that might be the that might be the money I need to publish <laughs> so that's what I'm doing right now is I'm waiting for my discount code to come in the email so I can purchase UWorld and uh, send the receipt into the program to get reimbursed. So we will eventually be studying for step three. I think our game plan is before the end of the year. We haven't picked October. a date yet. I guess we have picked a month, so we're getting closer. Happy birthday. <laughs> Yay! Yay. Happy birthday. Two days of exams. <laughs> <laughs>
1: we also need to pick our vacation time. Yeah, we
0: are really bad. Like We worked... And we picked a bunch of weeks for vacation, and apparently we are not going to go... Only
1: one of those weeks we can actually take.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we still have to pick our vacation. Um, We're really bad about this. I I still have to do some I-Pass stuff. I have to do some Campbell University stuff, but it's like, ah, I'll do it when I have time. Uh, (laughs) I mean, the stuff you do, you do, because you have to, do, and you'll get it done. But anyway, it's been a fun week we are going to so I have three weeks of this so I am still on week one essentially today was it's going to get weird to get used to having these weird like Wednesday off Tuesday off like no we I'm not off on any of the weekends so it's going to be kind of weird to be a non-weekend worker um while working on the weekends and not and having these days off randomly for the week um but I mean on the bright side that means the zoo is very empty Uh. (laughs) (laughs) This is true.
1: Um, So next week, I think Eric's day off is Tuesday, so we probably will have our podcast posted on Wednesday, and like it's supposed to be, (laughs) and we don't know about the week after that. So um, we will just keep uh, Instagram updated on when we have the time and means to get a podcast out there. And... um,
0: if you want yeah just follow the instagram at medfamilymd that's how the best way to interact with us if you know me personally just reach out to me directly but (laughs) you know of course welcome to you know if you know if you don't know me personally you're still welcome to reach out to us on instagram ask any questions you have any advice any topics you would like to hear us talk about Uh, at some point i would like to i want to try to do like what I actually learned, like medicine related, I don't want to, I, I will never be um, quite the same level as like divine intervention or even the, the internet book of critical care. Like, I'm not going to be that level, but even just broad swipes of like, Hey, I learned this this week about DKA. I, I, I think I would like to move into something like that in the future. Just something I learned that week that maybe would be useful to you guys. Um, but Follow us on any of the podcasting platforms and we will see you next week. Thank you very much. Bye.